to the Trinity Table Talk podcast, a resource for Trinity Anglican Church out of Littleton, Colorado. It'll be the goal of this podcast to serve as a resource for theological education and spiritual reflection for all those who might listen. I'm Andrew Winnegar. I work as a coordinator in the family ministry team, as well as uh, the director over our small group ministry. I'm joined by Father Tim Suits, the rector of Trinity Anglican. Um, thanks for your time. I uh, Thanks for letting me talk you into this podcast. It wasn't hard. It wasn't hard. I'm, yeah. I'm excited to be with you, Andrew. It's going to be good, man. <laughs> there wasn't too much leg pulling. Um, okay, so Tim, when, when we had this idea for this podcast, uh, and we're kind of casting vision, you had a very clear idea of what you wanted for the first season. Um, where are we going, and why is it important for our church? Yeah. Well, first let me say thanks, Andrew, for getting this all going. We are so blessed by your creativity at our church and um, youthful vigor. <laughs> I remember when I was going to take a job in Virginia, and my dear, beloved past friend, Rob Paris, said, Tim, God told me you're supposed to stay in Colorado because I need someone to resharpen my theological mind. And uh, you've been a real gift for me in being that to me, of really helping me resharpen my mm. theological mind and re-engage a lot of these questions. And I've been blessed by you. Um, so yeah, what are we wanting to do this semester with this podcast? Many of you at Trinity Anglican uh, have expressed curiosity, interest, intrigue about Anglican theology. And I've also noticed that very many of you have children, a lot of them, in fact. And therefore, to have uh, a class, you know, many of you can't make it or, you know, your kids will be crying out in the hallway or whatever it might be. So we thought, hey, so many of you are asking questions. What does it mean to be an Anglican? What's the history of our theology? What's the heart of our theology? But I can't make it to a class. So we thought, hey, we'll bring the class to you. And uh, that's really the heart of this, this podcast and what we're doing here. Um, we hope that this is just a way to begin questions and begin conversations in small groups or around coffee tables or on phone calls or text streams or whatever it is. Uh, but this would be just a way that the Lord can meet you and, and stimulate thought and curiosity about his gospel of grace. So I'd like to begin by looking at what does it mean to be an Anglican? And what is it about Anglicanism that grips our heart and excites our minds? Hmm. So before, I, I think it's it's good before getting into the history um, and talking about Henry VIII's divorce and all of that fun stuff. Um, what uh, what would you describe as like the central thing? Like at the, at the core of it, why did Tim Suits become an Anglican? That's, a, I love that question. And it's a question that I reflect on quite a bit. And, you know, you ask, you know, a hundred different Anglicans, you might get a hundred different answers, but uh, today you're going to get mine. At the beginning of every service, we pray the prayer of purity. We all know it. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. And, you know, it's interesting. What do we see there? We see a lot of references to our hearts and our desires. And it's interesting, even the thoughts of our hearts is included. What a beautiful bringing together. Anglicanism is deeply theological. 
thoughts, but it's also about the heart. The thoughts of our heart cleanse us from all of these sinful thoughts of our hearts that we might worthily love you and perfectly magnify your holy name. Anglicanism is a profound uh, ministry of the head and the heart coming together as we worship before our Lord Jesus Christ who saved us by his grace. At the heart of Anglicanism is the doctrine of grace, Mm. that from beginning to end, we are only made right with God as a pure gift of God's grace. And that captures our minds as we contemplate who God is, but even more so, it pulls our hearts into a life of devotion and love for him. So the heart, you know, my, my desire for Trinity Anglican has always been, you know, a place where people who are intellectually curious can come and bring their questions, right? It's a place where you can think. But, you know, I also have a saying, you know, Trinity Anglican, where grown men go to cry. And that's one of my, <laughs> that's one of my things I like about our church. It's also a place that you can come and experience the deep love and forgiveness of God. Because that's the cry of my heart. And that's the cry of every human heart. Am I loved? Am I forgiven? Am I seen? Um, in the one place where we can go where we know we are loved, we know we are forgiven, we know we are seen, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm. And that's what it means to be an Anglican, to be a people of grace, a people of the gospel. And any of this other stuff you'll read on the internet, you know, <laughs> about like people's stupid hats or something for bishops, forget all that. Don't read it. Don't listen to it. I forgive you if you do, but please don't. It's about <laughs> grace, people. Mm. And everything else is bush league by comparison. Um, I'm reminded of, uh, is it Peter Lineboss? Jonathan Lineboss. John, Jonathan. Jonathan Lineboss. Um, yeah, one of the best young Anglican theologians today. I'm, I'm reminded of the quote of the chapter you pointed out for me. Uh, Thomas Cramner's 1552 Book of Common Prayer is the only effective attempt ever made to give a liturgical expression to the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Amen. And I, f- I feel like so many of us resonate so deeply with that. Of That's it. right. Uh, like That's an right. embodied good theology. Um, but another thing you pointed out to me, and you were like, Andrew, you read this before we do this podcast, was uh, um, Thomas Cramner's homily on salvation. Yeah. Uh, so for those who aren't familiar, just read it, but also outline it for me. Yeah, so some of you know who Thomas Cramer is. Uh, he is in many ways the architect of the Anglican tradition. You know, uh, there was Luther, who kind of established the Lutheran tradition. Calvin, who established the Reformed tradition. And then Cramner, who in many ways established the, uh, the Anglican tradition. They're all three colleagues. And I would say, you know, Luther was the great, um, uh, I don't know, he was a great preacher. He was the one that really understood how to, how to forcefully proclaim God's word, some might say. Calvin was the greatest mind. He was a great systematizer uh, and also a man of profound love that's often forgotten. Some of you know it's what my doctoral work is on. But Cramner was the poet. Cramner was the one who, who really understood that we need to have beautiful liturgy to capture the human heart and, and to bring us into the presence of Jesus and to proclaim justification by faith alone, that you are made right with God not because of your works, but purely as an act of grace and Christ's righteousness on your behalf. 
Now with Cramner, we know that he had this Book of Common Prayer that we still use today. We know that he wrote the Articles of Religion, what we call the 39 Articles. But what people often don't know is before both of those documents were written, there was a book of homilies that he wrote. And a homily is just an Anglican word for a sermon. And, you know, he wrote them because all of his priests were Roman Catholics. I mean, these guys, like, they, they didn't have good theology. And he said, listen, I don't trust you to preach a good sermon, so read what I wrote. And he hands them, you know, the book of homilies. And, you know, dear Lord, I think probably, you know, more preachers today need a book of homilies that they can read from. <laughs> Maybe one day if I've got nothing to say, I'll just crack one open for all of you because they're pretty great. But the one that probably stands out head and shoulders above the rest is the homily on salvation. And it really lays out the heart of Cramner um, that everything he's trying to do is about the evangelical gospel of grace, that we are made righteous before God, not by our works, right? Um, not by anything that we can do to assuage God or prove our place before him, but purely by the sacrificial life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that resurrects us, gives us a new life into security with God and what he calls a lively faith. You have to see that Cramner was willing to risk his own life because he was a born again Christian when he experienced the gospel of grace through Lutheran theologians in the continent, on the continent. When he, he took a trip to the continent, you know, he was a, he was a Roman Catholic bishop. Dude got married um, and born again. And he spent the rest of his life trying to bring that good news of salvation in Christ Jesus to the people of England. And now we experience it even today at Trinity Ang Anglican and all over the world through this book of common prayer, this way of worship that is all formed around the gospel of grace. Hmm. Yeah. I, I found it interesting that, um, like reading when when you assigned it to me, reading the homily on justification, the homily on salvation, um, that like he really is. He's hitting every single cue that Luther and Calvin hit. That's right. Yeah. Um, especially Luther, because um, Calvin and he were contemporaries. And anyways, um, you had like the the problem of the problem of sin and the problem of our righteousness, like the impotence of our own righteousness, uh, Christ's obedience to God and his sacrifice on our part. And it always ends, um, especially for Cramer and like this, uh, true faith is lively. Yeah. It's, um, That's true right. faith produces good works. Not that those good works earn any kind of justification. Um, but you know, horse and cart, the order matters. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the accusation to the reformers is always, if you believe in grace, then you will uh, lead people to be antinomian, which means anti-law, right? If you preach grace, then people won't pursue holiness, right? And what's behind that is always this totally screwed up vision of why people obey. It's if you don't strike fear in the heart of people, they won't obey God. And we all know from raising children that that's just not the case. You know, children thrive and grow when they are in a secure, attached environment. Mm -hmm. You know, like my son, uh, my sons, uh, 
you know, they'll obey you when they're just in a place where they just love being with dad. And responding to dad's wishes is not a burden, but it's, man, I just love being with dad right now. Sure, I guess I'll do that. Yeah. And the reformers said, yeah, this is the heart of Paul. This is the part of heart of James. This is the heart of Jesus to grow in people a love for being with dad. The dad actually loves you. Dad actually sees you as worthy of his love. And that is what leads to godly living. Mm-hmm. Not fear. Yeah. Fear doesn't do it. Like the like when Christianity is reduced to behavior modification, you've missed the gospel. You've missed the gospel entirely. Um, and people won't change. People won't change. They'll simply lie. They'll simply lie to each other and hide. Um, you know, that yeah. We've all seen it, right? This is the plague of, you know, fundamentalist churches. Yeah. Right? Is if we all pursue righteousness like crazy uh, in like this works-based way, none of us hit it, but we're all <laughs> embarrassed if we don't hit it. So during accountability time, instead of confessing your actual sins, you're like, oh, I'm just tired. Oh, I just don't, you know, oh, and you're just kind of vague. You're glossing over all these horrible sins that you're hiding, right? Why? Because you're afraid that you're disqualified because of any sin in your life. Whereas the gospel says you aren't, and you're never going to get freedom from that sin until you first know that the Lord loves you. Hmm. And that's the heart of the Book of Common Prayer. That's the heart of Anglicanism. That's why, you know, people forget this. Like the Puritan movement was sparked out of Anglicanism. It was sparked out of Anglicanism. Richard Sibbs was one of the very first people that would have been called a Puritan, someone that just lived a radical life of devotion. And his whole understanding of a radical life of devotion was like, hey, remember, God treats you like a bruised reed, like a smoking flax that he will not extinguish. He doesn't treat you like a mighty oak or a roaring bonfire. And obedience and love of God begins there with knowing that God is gentle with you, kind to you, loving towards you. And that leads to wanting to be with him. You know, Cramner, you know, he's kind of bougie, right? You know, most of the people that were writing at this time, they were kind of the upper echelons of society. And one of the hobbies of, you know, upper class people was falconry, right? <laughs> so he's kind of, this is dumb. But I mean, look at some of our hobbies, right? I mean, they're even more dumb. It's like a bunch of guys drinking beer and being like, I can taste the lavender in the notes, <laughs> right? Okay, so falconry is not that much worse than that. You're talking about both of us. Yeah, right exactly. Now. That's exactly right. Um but uh, so falconry, you know, you get this falcon and you would be like, attack! And you know, you'd like kind of launch it off of your arm and it would fly out and like grab a, you know, a mouse or something running around. And, and you know, ideally the daggone falcon would fly back to you, right? But here's the reality. A falcon, it's a wild animal. Like there's never a point in which a falcon is truly like tame. You know, a dog tame a wolf will never be actually tame and a falcon ain't tame the only way a falcon comes back to a falconer is if the falconer allures the falcon back and this word calvin would use for allurement we're going to get into this in a a couple weeks when we really dig into this even deeper is this idea of like you know it was it was a word used like you know you kind of put like a bait out there to allure an animal to yourself to coax it to yourself but a falcon would come home because the falconer loved the falcon and cramner's entire vision 
and that the entire heart of the Anglican Church is that God calls us home because it's better to be home with him, even around his parameters of life, than it is, you know, being a daggone falcon terrorizing a forest, right? God calls us home by his grace, not by fear. If a falconer beats the falcon, the falcon is going to be like, I'm gone, right? And they're going to go, you know, eat rabbits or whatever they do in the woods. But if a falcon loves the falconer, the falcon will come home. That's the heart of Anglicanism. Mm. That's what it means to be an Anglicanism, to see God is fundamentally full of grace and love. You know, that's why, you know, Cranmer, one of those beautiful parts of his original liturgy was right after um, the confession of sin and the assurance of pardon, he had these things called the comfortable words. Comfortable words are these words of comfort uh, that God proclaims over us. And, and we do one of them every single week, but often he would say, you know, do all four. And there are four Bible verses, and it says this. And I'm going to use some old la- English language here because it's, it's kind of fun. Hear what comfortable words our Savior Christ saith unto all who truly turn to him. St. Matthew 11.28 says, Come unto me, all that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. St. John 3.16 says, So God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, um, This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And 1 John 2.1 says, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is a propitiation for our sins. That's the heart of Anglicanism. That God actually wants to comfort us. God actually wants to call us home. God actually wants us to want to be with him. And I think the Book of Common Prayer, exactly as Linebaugh said, there has never been a more systematic way of worshiping God that lays out that beautiful doctrine of justification being made right with God purely by his grace. Um, Nowhere else has it ever been laid out quite that beautifully. And so, you know, to be an Anglican, really, is to be a person of grace, a hmm. gospel person. I, um, you know, when, when I was reading the homily, you, you know those times where, like, I mean, I've been studying theology for, like, eight years, right? Um, so I've heard plenty of things, plenty of times, but there's always this moment, just God's grace upon me, of when something is made fresh. Um, and Cramner, I think he made fresh that... Um, the Protestant Reformation in my head was always about like the disastrous effects of our sin. Um, but really it was a critique against our own righteousness. Yes. We had this whole yeah. um, sacerdotal or sa- sacerdotal yeah. system um, of uh, righteousness earned through different sacraments or different institutions of the church. Um, and we could easily say that there is a modern sacerdotal system yeah um whether that be like you know the fundamentalism that so many of of us grew up with or you know the plenty of fundamentalisms that exist though would abhor that name um yeah we live in a world that's increasingly telling people you are judged by your righteousness 
you are judged by your righteousness of like, you know, how you look or how much money you have or how much social activism you engage in or mm. how much you check your privilege or what are all these other things are. We live in, we live in an incredibly puritanical world oh, right yeah. now. And I think this is why, you know, many of us are like, man, we need the gospel because I can't keep up with everyone's expectation of my righteousness. Mm. I can't. And, and it's, it's totally ineffectual. Like oh, yeah. there's, there's no amount of, the point of the reformers is to uh, translate it into our modern day. There is no amount of social activism, even effective social activism that earns you heaven. Yeah. Because that's, that's missing the point of our alienation with God. Yeah. I, I would love to hear what you think more about that. Yeah, man. I think you're hitting on some really important themes there, Andrew. And, um, it's the very heart of like Christianity, right? Is the desire to be near God, right? We all want to be near God. We want to be near the one that is perfect beauty. And that's why we're just chronically searching for beauty in our lives, right? We want to be near the one that is perfect truth. You know, that's why, you know, you're chronically searching the internet for like truth, right? In our increasingly post-truth world. Um, you want to be near the one that is pure being, right? Pure being means he's maximally existent at all times. Have you ever wondered why you're always like, I don't know, have any of you ever been caught in like a loop where you are just like, I don't know, like you have like 18 different websites that you go to when you're bored, right? So for me, it's like I go to first things, and then I go to like different YouTube channels and then I go to like near orthodoxy and then I check the Liverpool highlights and then I check this and then I check that, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like kind of left and I'm actually just tired and not at all. Like none of my curiosity has actually been satisfied. Have you ever wondered why you do that? Like why does the human heart always like seek more and more and more and more? It's because you actually want to be in the presence of the one that is infinitely new and infinitely different and infinitely interesting all the time. And only God is that. Only God is that. Nothing, I don't know if any other thing humans have ever created other than the internet has like come as close. And that's why it's so, you know, destructive. But only God is infinitely new and infinitely different and infinitely distinct all the time. That's why you're always looking for that, right? Because you actually want to be with God, right? Um, why we're all looking for love all over the place, right? It's because you actually have like this infinite desire to be infinitely loved. And only God can do that because only he is perfect love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And therefore perfect love all the time right and even like this heart for righteousness to be right you want righteousness in this world you want a world that is just and yet every one of our attempts to try to force that on the world actually just creates radical injustice right because really what we want is we want to be in the presence of the one that's perfectly just but here's what we also know is that by our own works we can't ascend to god we can't. We try and we try and we exhaust ourselves and it never works out. The only hope that we can have, and this is what the Reformation got brought to us, is if the one who is perfectly interesting, perfectly beautiful, perfectly loving, uh, perfectly good, perfectly righteous, 
comes to us and then brings us to him. Carl Bart would often talk about that, that like our relationship with God is from God to God, back to God, mm. right? God initiates, God establishes, right? You know, initiates by the father. He establishes the relationship by, by the son and he sustains the relationship by the Holy Spirit. But from beginning to end, it's all God's grace, all of it. And whenever we try to muddle it up with our works, we end up in fear and doubt. And fear and doubt are not good motivators for the Christian life. And Anglican theology at its core is always going back to that gospel of grace again and again. So being Anglican isn't about, um, it's not about liturgy. It's not about, I mean, the liturgy is a part of it. But it's about the gospel first and foremost. That's right. And it's not about being Catholic light. It's not about, you know, whatever we might confuse with Anglicanism. Yes. And yeah, I think that needs to be known before we uh, talk about all the rest of the stuff that we yeah, talked about. Yeah, whenever someone comes to Trinity Anglican, you know, I know that the liturgy is exciting if you haven't experienced it before. But my prayer is always that it's exciting because it's showing you a beautiful image of Jesus. Yeah. That's always our goal. And I, I believe that was Cramner's goal, and that was every good Anglican bishop's goal. That's our Bishop Ken Ross's desire, is that Jesus would be magnified, and his grace to save us would be shown forth in the liturgy. Whether that's the Word, the sacrament, the communion of saints, all of it is communicating the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Well, I think this is a good place to end the first episode. Thank you, Tim, for your time. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate it. Um, in the next episode, we'll be discussing the history of the English Reformation. Thank you for joining us on this episode, and we hope to see you in the next one. For more resources or information about Trinity Anglican Church, please visit trinitylittleton.com.